Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Four, three, two, one. I told you before to be careful where you put your legs. I was only trying to be helpful. I can help myself. What are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. What are you waiting for? Come on! Come on! For seven decades, Michael Keane has been among the world's most renowned and recognisable actors. It was just what I needed, a one-inch god with a two-inch penis. Star of classics like Zulu, The Man Who Will Be King, and The Cider House Rules. It's a miracle no one was killed. But also films that brought his career to the brink of complete implosion. I made a mistake. Somehow, he has always found a way back. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. With me, it's a full-time job. In this epic podcast series, we will watch and review every Michael Caine movie, from the greatest hits... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off! ...to the incredible misses. You failed to maintain your weapon, son. And take a deep dive into the life and work of one of the world's most recognisable film stars. His name is Michael Caine, and no one will forget his name. Behave yourself. To understand... How he has made the mark of Cain. Well, you all settled in? Right, we can begin. For God's sake, come in! Hello, and you're very welcome to the Mark of Cain podcast and the beginning of our trek through the films of Michael Cain, ascending the peaks and dropping down into the troughs of the most varied movie career on the planet. We'll be watching every film and finding out what they tell us about Michael Caine as an iconic star, but also trying to figure out some of his more bizarre career choices and how that career survived such screen-melting disasters as The Swarm, Jaws 4, and plenty, plenty more that we just haven't come across. My name is Michael Foley, and I'm joined, as always, on this by Stephen Black, creator, writer, producer, and chief security detail for the Mallow News Twitter feed, your online source for satire, laughs, tears, and really more questions about why you're still on Twitter. You can also find his work in the Mano News book that's out and about. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm all right. Listen, I just want to kind of put you up on a few... Well, just one thing there. I'm not just Mano News. I do I, I do, and I contribute so much more than that. And I would appreciate if you, if you if you didn't try to pigeonhole me like this. I've known you a very, very long time. Like a very long time. Yeah. Since we were... Actually, yeah. since we were two years of age. And I can say, without fear of contradiction by anybody else who knows you, that you are just Mallow News. That's it. No, You've no, beat. you're ignoring you're, you're ignoring all the good charity work I do. I run a very successful not for profit uh, that looks after deprogramming kids who've escaped from GA cool camps. Really, I, I wasn't aware yeah. of that. I, I also wasn't no. aware that the brainwashing was part of the whole cool camp. Um, no, cool camp scene. kids come out, no personality, monosyllabic responses to any queries from the parents, addicted to protein powder, terrible at maths, always out about giving one hundred and twenty or one hundred thirty percent. Just it's it, and especially if one of the parents is into you know soccer ball or rugby ball, it's a, it's a, it's a real tough time for people, and I don't, I don't need to be able to help out. I have to say, as somebody like yourself who never went to a cool camp, that whole thing sounds bizarre. Like you were in your teenage years, anyway. So I'm not quite sure where. Are you sure it's just cool camps is, is doing this? Well, uh, over the various uh, addictions that I've struggled with throughout my life, protein powder was not one of those. Creatinine is creatine a protein powder, or is it a more of a supplement? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I have to all say, I know is it makes me very, it makes me very angry. <laughs> all, all I know is that I remember going to the movies with you once. I'm not sure whether this is going to make the cut or not, but I remember going to the movies with you once, and you produced. <laughs> 
a tray or like a, a, can, you, a can you remember a packet, the movie? A packet. Oh God! Oh God! The movie is completely gone from me because of the packet of chicken. So it was a documentary. It was Finding the Freedmans, I think it was, which is a delightful rob about family uh, child abuse. So yeah, it was lovely stuff. Well, it began yeah. before be, be, before all that. It began with you producing a packet of chicken tikka slices, opening it up, and basically just infecting the whole place with the smell of chicken tikka. I can still see the women two rows behind us looking at each other, going, "What is that bang? What is that bang?" It was chicken tikka, lads. It's chicken tikka. Now enjoy the show. <laughs> horrendous anyway 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 anyway. let's move on to better things right episode one well not episode one because it was the second episode the first film we've gone through this is the no it's this is our third episode champ We're, yeah i know 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 i'm i'm losing track already of <laughs> only three episodes in um we did zulu last episode which of course was kane's first major role but now we're on to the first starring role and a role actually that in so many ways actually it still to this day defines him as an actor as a kind of like a cult star of sort and weirdly for a skinny man with thick black glasses a kind of icon of cool for the 1960s so this is kane as harry palmer in the ipcris file someone is trying to frame me you've got to help me you're just too hot, Palmer. Follow Harry Palmer. What happens to him concerns you. Yes, you. And you. You will forget all about the Ipcress fire. You have forgotten your name. In truth, his name is Michael Kay, and no one will forget his name. Michael Kay. He walks straight into sensational stardom in the Ipcress file as he gets right under the skin of the brash, cocky, wry-humoured Harry Palmer. The soldier seconded from the army for security duties, who's never far away from a girl, and always closer than close to trouble. Now get this. I'm going to tell you until I know you're clean. And if you're not clean, I'm going to kill you. Both these men cover the British security network, but each keeps his own counsel and his own secrets. Here's one thing that, that crossed my mind about the Ipcris file. And you've, and you've made this point to me in the past very well, that the look of Kane in the Ipcris file is so iconic, like with the black glasses and the, you know, the suit, just the look. And The Ipcris Soil is a famous film in the same way that Alfie is a famous film by name. But do many, I, I, I had not watched it really before we had to do it for this. Um, had you ever seen it like? I'd never seen The Ipcris Soil. I think I see like bits and pieces of Funeral in Berlin and TV or various Christmases. But no, I've never seen the, I'd never seen The Ipcris Soil before. And certainly I didn't really associate the so-called like, the iconic look of Kane from the 60s um, with that movie. I just. No. You know, I didn't even, you know, I, this, I knew that it was Kane's iconic look, but I couldn't for the life of me tell you which film it was from. Yeah, because he does look fab. Like, I mean, if, you know, if you do a Google search for Michael Kane, um, and just look at the images, like they're all from the 60s wearing really nice suits, the black glasses. It's Harry Palmer. Uh, yeah. We just didn't, we just didn't realize it. Like, but he just, he looks fab in this. He's on the actor's diet, like, and he's, and he's, he's skinny as a lat. 
Yeah, I know. The actor's diet as such, I think at the time was, you know, he wasn't that famous. So essentially he was eating nothing because he couldn't afford to eat anything. Mm. Actually, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Now, this is a, we're going to go through the plot here. Right. And like, I think we're both conscious that this is a very famous movie, but I'm kind of conscious that people probably maybe haven't seen this before. Uh, if you haven't, if you're coming to this podcast, if you have watched it, enjoy. If you haven't seen the movie, go and watch it, maybe come back, whatever. Uh, we're going to we're going to guide you through it anyway. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to give the plot outline now. Try and keep it as simple as I can. It's a lot. It's a, it's a lot more straightforward on screen than it is explaining it, and I think that's a that's a trend that may become uh, more apparent with Harry Potter movies. But 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 we'll get stuck in. And if you're feeling bored, just just um just cut across me and just tell me to hurry on, will you? Do me do, do oh, me. I thought you were talking to the audience. I thought you were talking <laughs> to the audience. In which case, you just you got to click. You know the you know the way when you're listening to the podcast that they put in one of those annoying ads. You don't want to hit. You just hit the fifty percent forward or whatever it is. Yeah. On, on your your iPhone or if you're poor, your Android. Just, just do, do that. that maybe once or twice. Just do that. You're going to find yourself doing that a lot in this podcast anyway, I'd imagine. Right. Okay. So it begins. It was fired. Begins with a scientist called Radcliffe being kidnapped from a train and Harry Palmer, who's an old British Army sergeant. He's now an MI5 operative. He was basically kind of almost forced to be a spy for some kind of criminal tomfoolery he was involved in Berlin. And um, so he was given the option of a couple of years in prison or become a spy. He's summoned by his boss, um, Colonel Ross, who's played by Guy Dolman, who's absolutely brilliant in this. Apparently, a lot of scientists like like Radcliffe are going missing at the peak of their careers. So Harry is transferred to a section headed by Major Dalby, who's played by Nigel Green, who people might remember as a color sergeant from Zulu. Um, so Dalby sends the agents out basically to find Radcliffe and get the word out that that that, that the British are, are interested in buying him back, essentially. So Palmer finds the main suspect, who's this guy, Grantby, uh, but who he gets away. Um, Grantby's minder is killed in police custody by people impersonating Harry. Um, Harry suspects something going on in a warehouse. He comes across this information. They go to the go to the warehouse. There's nothing there. But Palmer does find kind of like just a recently burned out kind of a fire in a stove and find some audio tape marked Ipcris. When they play it back, it's just pure gobbledygook. Um, so they don't know what's going on there. But between the jigs and the reels, there's a meeting arranged with Grant B and the deal is done to get Radcliffe back. They go to get him back. But at the handover, Harry sees someone suspicious lurking in the shadows. Uh, once the handover is completed, it turns out he shoots this guy and it turns out it's a CIA guy. So now he has a CIA after him. Radcliffe seems fine, but then he has a bit of a breakdown during a, a talk to other scientists. And at the same time, uh, another agent, like Jock Carswell, played by Gordon Richards, who was like the guy in the greatest safe. Good luck. Thank you. And also the butler in, um, in Upstairs Downstairs, he finds a book called Ipcris, which stands for Induction of Psychoneuroses by Conditioned Reflex Under Stress. Catchy. Uh, basically, it's about brainwashing scientists. Jock gets killed driving Harry's car. Harry decides to get out of Dodge. He goes back to the office to get the Ipcris file, uh, but that's missing. Dolby then tells Harry, OK, things are getting very hot. You get out of here. He heads for Paris by train, um, but he gets kidnapped. And then the brainwashing begins. Uh, so he he uses pain to sort of distract himself, but he eventually succumbs to this sort of Pink Floyd style assault on the senses. Uh, and there's a trigger phrase that will that will get Harry to do whatever their bidding is. Uh, he es- eventually escapes from the warehouse. He calls Dolby. Of course, it turns out that Dolby is in on it. Dolby uses the trigger phrase, makes Harry call Colonel Ross. They all arrive down at the warehouse. Uh, and Dolby is essentially trying to get 
Harry to kill Ross. But somewhere along the way, Harry kind of hurts his hand. Um, he had been using pain as a to sort of resist the brainwashing and feeling pain again, kind of jolts him back to reality. He realized that Dolby is the double agent, shoots him, and Ross, in this kind of fantastically kind of dry, laconic way, uh, kind of looks at Harry while Harry is complaining about being used essentially as bait to explode to expose Dolby, and essentially says, "That's what you're paid for." And there, in a nutshell, really is what the Ipcris file is all about. It's this anti-hero. It's this, yeah, you're just doing a job. You're getting paid. It's the complete anti-bond, which I think is the entire, it's the entire point of the movie, really. Yep. I mean, it was set up as, I think, what the, the producer, Harry Salzman, is one of the Bond producers. And they, I mean, Len Dayton's book was bought for a princely sum. And they wanted to set Harry Palmer up as this antithesis to Bond or antidote to Bond to show the the banality of spying, you know, it's not all about, you know, jetting off to Monte Carlo, uh, sleeping with beautiful women and gadgets and dangling from the Empire State Building while, you know, attempting to save the world. It's an awful lot of form-filling, working weekends, um, mm. sexual uh, harassment in the workplace. Loads uh, of that. Loads of that. Um, and basically getting done over by your employer. Yeah, essentially, for really crap money, duff money, and yeah. having to work weekends, which really annoys Harry at one point. Um, yeah, that's that, that's it. And I mean, even London itself. I mean, you know, we have that picture postcard now of swinging London, Carnaby Street, Rolling Stones and Beatles on every corner. But this is this is London, how London probably was for 95% of the people who were living there in 1965. It's just rainy and grotty and we're going to work. And there's these new things called supermarkets where we now shop. And I live in a crap flat in Notting Hill. And it kind of looks like it needs it needs a paint and it needs lots of other things done to it. And it's just, it's just bleh. Yeah, so let's take it at that. We'll take it from the start, I guess. One of the mm. things that Ipcris Wild is, is best known for is, is the opening sequence, or the opening title sequence, basically after the, the the good doctor or good professor gets kidnapped into the title sequence, which is actually kind of sets up who Harry Palmer is and what kind of movie this is. Mm. And it's a very, it is, I suppose in this way, it's a very iconic uh, opening sequence. So you have Kane, you know, as Harry getting up and going through his morning ablutions uh, before he heads out the door, you know, straight away, you know, there's, there's no glamour here. He's, you know, he's getting up, opening the curtains in a very actorly way. You can see he's putting, up, he's putting his back into it, the, the most... Bizarre acting choice I've ever seen for a man. I've even started doing it myself in the morning because I find it, just, I find it cheers it cheers me up. You know? He just he kind of sweeps back the curtains, isn't it? No, no, you know, he he starts at one end and walks across, oh, right. where he's, and then takes take, goes and does it the, the same at the other side. You know, goes he makes his you could see he's serious about his you know he he's his breakfast. He's there you know uh, yeah. uh, making a pot of coffee, getting you know man crushes his own beans, it, crushes his own beans, but uh, you know. Who hasn't? I suppose the older you get, the more of a, a more of an issue that becomes. You just have to sit down a lot more gently. <laughs> Go on, yeah. So it's it's he, all it's every, 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 everything is nice. Oh, and he big. does the he does nice. You know, like it's it's it would have been at the time a very, a very modern kitchen. He makes his, mm. his his French press, makes his coffee, gets out the racing. You know, you never see James Bond. You know, do uh, picking out the the winners for the racing for 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 the day. Um, goes over and again. And this is the topic I'll bring up. I brought up already this this kind of a, a deliberate attempt to de-gay Michael Caine. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. Basically pushed pushed on him by, by producers who had seen, you know, like rushes and concerned about the fact that, you know, this is a man who's, who cooks himself, you know, he cleans himself, cleans. Um, 
is possible because obviously these are key things because no one's aware of the fucking chefing world where 95% of chefs are men. It's like, no, these are homosexual, solely the acts of a homosexual. What can we do in order to stop it? In any way, while he's cooking, could he just punch a hole through the wall or the drywall just to show that he's incapable of processing feelings like a heterosexual man? Yes. So they, they, like, there's still a bit of effort through this film, you know, like he's, uh, not to get away from the opening sequence, you know, this, everything that he does as uh quote unquote uh gay as that may it may seem that it the the whole you know it's contextualized that everything that he, he does is his sole goal is uh not only to be a modern man but also to to bed birds yeah there's even women, if you will there's even a there's even a little moment when uh there's one of the agents courtney she's she's sent really to kind of so, so oh, but happy, even right? before that, before we go into that, there's the whole the opening sequence that he goes to make his bed. Or he's oh, yeah. going to make his bed. Oh, yeah. He's looking for his gun. He's looking for his gun. He can't find his gun. He's, you know, he draws back the, the dovet. And another dovet <laughs> is a, a charm bracelet. It is going, ah, oh, so you can tell, uh, you know, clearly he's been with a woman because been a lady uh, homosexual. Yeah, yeah, because homosexuals don't wear charm bracelets. They're famous for infamous, you, you might say. Oh. Don't like charm bracelets. Allergic to them, in fact. Like it's, garlic it's, to them. Oh, it's garlic. So he finds the child breast, he's like, ah, this is a man who enjoys, who enjoys the vagine. Um, <laughs> eventually, eventually locates his pistol in the bed. We need to be some very awkward questions about his, his mm. foreplay. Is this a case whereby he's decided she's in the bed? I might as well mug her. You know, I'm tight. I'm tight <laughs> money. Maybe, maybe I need, I, I need to buy one of these new, newfangled, uh, you know, infrared ovens or whatever. Yeah. Maybe I just mug her. <laughs> or, even, or even worse that he's picked up a lady who said, you know what, Harry, leave the gun. Actually, if you don't mind, Harry, I really like it. Just keep, keep the gun stays in the bed, if you know what I mean. Can we use the gun? Can we use the gun? It's like it's bizarre. It's literally yeah. they're they're pulling back the dovet, as you say, and there's a gun in the bed. You know, there's a gun. There's in the a bed. gun in the bed. So this is an exciting yes. scene, wasn't there? There was there was that there was meant to be a scene where you know you you actually see this. Not the yeah. way we well we will never know, but I mean ultimately you, one can only assume that this Harry kind of goes, does this do it for you? And she looks towards his crotch and she goes, no, but that does. Or something like, you know, something classy like that. <laughs> yeah, they cut out the scene with the woman, but they left yeah. the scene with the gun. Um, yeah. and, but there's just a little small point I was going to make about Courtney was, like, even when it comes to, like, she's she's trying to describe his character to him. So she says, you like books, you like Mozart, you like Bach, you like cooking. But he, he, you know, he has to get in go, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I like birds most of all. Just in case yes. we're on any doubt, because as you say, any heterosexual male in the 60s, Cooking must just feel like a complete alien practice, uh, you know, cleaning your own clothes, um, having nice things, being interested in books and music. That's like, you know, not classical people. music, classical music. Yeah. I mean, Hitler liked classical music. Well, yeah, I know. They think I know. I know. But all of these things are put to bed repeatedly, 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 repeatedly. Um, quite literally in some cases. Indeed. Indeed. Cooking, like cooking is a big part of this film. And like the, even like, the, you know, as you mentioned there, in that opening scene, all the gear is 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 for nineteen sixty five is top notch. He has a he he has a coffee pot like that. I think one of the producers had a piece of the of the of the company that made the coffee pot. So it was a bit of product placement. Len Dayton, the the, the author of the book, had you know columns in 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 newspapers. It actually came like part of the screen test, if you like, was um Michael, can you can you crack an egg with one hand? Turned out Michael couldn't. So when it came to some close up shots of of cooking and chopping and so on. Dayton himself did the chopping and the cracking of the eggs and so on. 
Um, so yeah, it was like, very, it, it, yeah. when you get appointed, it is, it is actually quite noticeable because he has the smooth white skin of a normal person rather than the bedeviled, freckled hands of a ginger. <laughs> he's not a ginger. He's, a, he's, he's a ginger. He's not. Kane is clearly blind. He's clearly blind, like. Whatever. Yeah. Clearly, yeah, the, 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 the pro ginger board have gotten to you as well. No, I don't. I, well, I, well, no. Frankly, no. No, I'm, I'm an independent thinker. And on this, he is blind. He is blind. But we will look. Anyway. Uh, another, like, I mean, you know, cooking, food. Um, another, like, glorious scene. And it's my favorite scene in the movie. Again, Colonel Ross is one of my favorite characters in this film, anyway, because it's just so droll, Mama. And he meets Harry in the supermarket. Now, again, context here, mid-60s is huge. It's 10 years since rationing ended post-war in England. Supermarkets are just becoming a thing. So the idea of, of Colonel Ross, this, this sort of throwback um, meeting Harry, this gourmet uh, shopping in the supermarket, is is that has its own thing going on. But, like, you know, again, Harry's a gourmet, but he's shopping for tinned food. He's a gourmet, you know, in the mid sixties. Uh, yeah. So as you say, rationing isn't long gone. This is essentially a country whereby if you saw somebody eat, eating spaghetti bolognese, it might actually cause a race riot. You know, they're they're not. <laughs> you, you see color in a plate, it might induce some sort of psychosis that basically yeah. might have rendered the whole lipgris process invalid. Yeah, exactly. You want to make you want you want to brain, brainwash a, a, a British person at that time? You introduce them to flavor. Spice. Yeah, yeah, just a, just like instead of all the instead of all the brainwashing gear that Grampy was, he should just come on with a plate of spaghetti bolognese and put it in front of him. You know, yeah. blood would have started coming out of his ears. But um, I took it like so. So they're going through the supermarket and they're having this conversation. It doesn't matter what the conversation is about, but it's all improvised and it's brilliant. And like part of it is like they're you know they're crashing supermarket trolleys off people and they're trying to make their way through. But the, this whole improvisation. This was another thing which was supposed to be to show how masculine they were by two men basically ramming their trolleys off each other, which, I mean, I'm no uh, Freudian uh, subtext <laughs> expert here, but possibly not the straightest thing to do. Yeah, like there, yes. Again, well, Ross in particular is like shown to be so uncomfortable. Yeah, he can't, he can't even drive a trolley. He's just so conscious of being in a supermarket. It's just a complete another brain melter farm. I started though, as they were going along, I started noting the, um, the things that were on the shelves. So the list of tinned items that I saw anyway, prawn curry in a tin. This is all in a tin. Uh, mushroom chop suey, beef chop suey, chicken supreme, beef curry, champignon, paella, something called beefaroni, which Colonel Ross was quite taken with. And then you had chicken curry in a box, prawn curry in a box, and something called full of pep, which I think Maybe it was dog food, but I'm not sure. Sounds like a performance-enhancing drug. <laughs> it does. Yes, it's Team Sky, Team Sky B getting <laughs> getting, getting uh, banned for the Tour de France for being yeah. full of pep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he tested positive for full of pep. Uh, yeah, he was panting very, very excessively when he came over the finish line. We immediately tested him, and would you believe he came up full of pep? And also he had fleas. <laughs> Harry um, Harry went for the prawn curry, by the way, for father's word, and then back home for some jazz and tinned mushrooms uh, with the aforementioned Courtney. 
Yeah, we might as well stick in this topic. To be honest, yeah, it's not an awful lot, we can say about this film that hasn't already been said. It's a cla- we both. Yeah. I was supposed to really come up. We, it's kind of implied by the company. We re, we both really like this movie. It's a oh, really, it's really great movie. good, yeah, it's great entertaining movie. movie of its time. But you know, it's 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 a it's a really entertaining movie. Kane is great in it. So you know, we're not going to add a lot more to that debate. So we're just going to be you know engaged in mostly pure oil uh, uh, conversation, which is again, it's a part and parcel of, of, of why people are listening. I'd hope. Well, I, I hopefully, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Harry's whole seduction routine is basically revolves around his ability to cook and seduce a woman, a woman through the the miracle of cuisine. Mm. So he is Jean back at the gaff, and he gets her to put on a bit of, you know, she pours, you know, half a glass of whiskey each for them, and she he he, he promises to cook her the meal of her life, and then goes on to cook what exactly? Like because I mean, we 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 don't really see you see a lot of chopping. Um, you see, a, you see uh, a lot of chopping and the opening of a tin of mushrooms. Yeah, I mean, tin of mushrooms, not like, you know, she makes a champignon as if, oh, so fresh, only packaged two years ago. Mm, I could <laughs> taste the lead and this mucus, oh, mushroom mucus. Oh, you could really taste the south of France. <laughs> yeah, mushroom snot. Not good. Like, yeah, and we don't actually see, but we do hear that it was, that's the finest dinner I've ever had. Oh, Harry, you must have you. Indeed. Yeah, so I mean, again, you know, we could only hope that you know that she she didn't serve you know the, 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 I mean, prawn curry in a can. Let's let's be quite honest with you; it should not exist. I don't care what year it is. There's something yeah. weird about prawn curry in a can, in particular seafood seafood in a can. I mean, I mean, leave aside your your tuna or your your tin salmon, which is again, I, I don't mm. like fish anyway; it's gross. But yeah, it's yeah, it's exa- again of its time. Harry the gourmet is basically give give a sort. What can only be reheating tin food because it's not like he's going to take out those mushrooms. He's going to wash them, and anyway, he's not going to chop them up, or he's kind of going to add a bit of spice. No, he's essentially just going to you know, oh, warm them fe- in a pan. He fecked him in a pot. Yeah, he yeah. fecked him in a pot and heated them up. Yeah, but it's quite successful. I mean, like you know, the the, the infamous the line of "Do you always wear your glasses?" And he goes, yes, except for, except in bed. I mean, oh, smooth operator, like again, that raises what, questions I, in itself, though. Doesn't it raises it, it raises an awful lot of questions. Like, I mean. I I would not exactly call me my, myself, you know, like a, an an executor of the boudoir in any way. But I would have thought, as far as uh, techniques go, a, a full heavy meal is not exactly the <laughs> the, the gateway uh, to paradise. You know what I'm saying? It's like you know, geez, I need a good sit down for an hour. Maybe we go for a walk around the block, Harry, before we before, just, before we, we take things any further. Can can we just stick on match of the day there, just for a half an hour? <laughs> just a half an hour is all. I just. Yeah. I just need to, I just need the dinner to settle. Yeah, I just need a bit of an old stretch. Yeah, just just a half an hour is all I'm asking. Half an hour, yeah. and then I'm gonna give I, I'm gonna give you the night of your life. I'm gonna woo, I'm gonna woo your knickers off, love. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but which he does successfully. To be fair yes. to to be fair to this bespectacled person with a long with a big nose, as he described himself at the time. Um, yeah. what else happens in this? Like the brainwashing scene to move it on a moving on a tad. Um, yeah. like it's it's um it's of its time. Struck me that an awful lot of the stuff that happens in the brainwashing scene actually became kind of part of the whole hip countercultural movement uh, a couple of years later. Yeah, you got the kind of the the the, the trippy visuals, which are yeah. standard. For As you say, it looks like a piss poor, you know, like Pink Floyd live at Pompeii. Um, <laughs> so you're not quite sure why it's working because no, you know you're looking at the visuals yourself and you're thinking you know I think in later films they might made more they may tend to make more of an effort to kind of you know jazz things up to make you feel as if you're being discombobulated but this is just you know random colors on the screen and to a guy an Albanian with a very English accent uh, mm. uh, kind of trying to 
brainwash you. you know, so I would have thought it was very effective. And I mean, it's, again, would you think all the effort they put into it and all they had to do is kind of wait, you know, these days all you need is a social network where, you know, the lad who had snots behind you in secondary school is able to radicalize your parents by convincing <laughs> them that, you know, immigrants are coming into the country to eject their children with 5G. I know. Everything is just so much easier now. Like the, um, the, the yeah, it's a, it's a, in a way it's a pity because it's such a good movie. And this obviously yeah. is a key scene, the brainwashing bit, right? Yeah. It's probably, and Kane, to be fair, is good in the, in this scene as well. But There's it's a, a lot of waving his crap. head from side to, to side. side and, I mean, oh, pain. Oh, yeah. oh, my wrist. And it's very, it's a very British thing to induce pain in order to, to not succumb to emotion. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It is actually. And he successfully also generates stubble. He does generate stubble. Yes. So you're convinced that he has been, you know, locked up in, in the cell for a long period of time. Oh, man. He looked wrecked. He looked wrecked. Um, like, the, like the film itself, right? I mean, a couple of small things of interest, right? The script seems to have been very improvised or certainly written on the hoof. Like I think that Kane recalls like Sidney Fury, who was, who was the director. Uh, and actually going back to your, your de-gayification point. I mean, he's, he's, his film directly before this was a movie called the leather boys, which was about a, a gay biker uh, in rock and roll London. Uh, he actually turned down a hard day's night, which freed him up to do with Chris file. But he apparently on the first day and said, he effectively just set fire to the script and said, right, let's start again. So you had basically lads hanging around waiting for pages to read and to and and to, and to act. Um, so it was seems to be very much on the hoof. Um, Otto Heller's cinematography. Um, it's it, I mean it sounds like a very kind of you're not talking about the movie, but you're talking about the cinematography. It is really good, like isn't it? Like there there are some well, it's key. Well, I mean it's it's deliberate on both on both Heller's uh, behalf and City of Furies is that you were you're, you're meant to feel as if you're eavesdropping in these conversations. So yeah. it very much kind of lends to the whole spying kind of theme of the movie. So it, it, you can't you can't have one without the other. You can't really discuss the movie and not discuss that. It, it is excellent. It is really, really good. There's a, there's one shot, and I, we won't labour point, but there is one shot that I love where he's he's chasing Grantby at the beginning to kind of bring him in, and his mind are kind of steps in the way, and there's this fight scene on the st- on a set of steps near the Royal Albert Hall, but it's shot from inside a phone box, and it just looks, it just for whatever way it's done, it just kind of it's a crap fight for a start, but it just kind of in its own way it kind of captures how another theme of this, which is that. Everything is happening around Harry, you know? He loses the fight. Uh, he's not really in control of anything. He doesn't really lose the on. fight. Yeah, I, he does, I think he kind of quits himself. Oh, you're right. No, you're right. Actually, he, he gets away from him, but he doesn't catch Grant. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. But this whole idea that the whole... Like, like, everything is happening to Harry rather than Harry making anything happen. Yeah, the only the only thing that Harry actually kind of does in this, in this film is he locates Grampy, but then is duped by Grampy. Yeah, and then the the next thing that he does is that he, I suppose, that he kind of does is he he escapes custody when he's been brainwashed. That's another thing that he kind of does, and he has agency about. So other than that, he, but he then he gets the, duped by Dolby. Yeah, but I mean, he eventually kills uh, Dolby. So yeah, it's not that, but yeah, terrible. mostly mostly things happen around him. But he he has very little agency. He is again, he is at the behest of his employers so again, which is like most employees, basically. Like most employees, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I was like. The film is really, really good, and Kane is really good in it. And I was kind of figuring out, like, why, why is he so good in this? And like, my my theory, anyway, is like, first of all, it's pure charm. He just has a way about him on screen 
that you that we know now from many many films later that he has but you really see it in this also i think the fact that he was able to play this with his own accent he didn't have to do a kind of a clipped accent like zulu or anything like that going forward he he, he could bring a lot of himself into it he was basically playing a working class schlub and it, it kind of it fitted him it did fit him i suppose so there was no stretch from that perspective but i think as well it was it so I think it's hunger basically for him. I mean, yeah. he was really invested. This is his first starring role. So he's looking to, for the best outcome here. He's, you know, working with the director, he's working with the script writer, he's working with, with his co-stars to kind of make sure that he does his best and everybody else does the best. And, yeah. you know, it shows on the screen. And I suppose as well, if you look at it from a life experience perspective, I mean, like, you know, being basically uh, spending the previous decade or so uh, impoverished and starving would have certainly uh, helped focus his mind as I suppose as well would have kind of set him up for the, the scenes where he's, uh, you know, starving in the cell. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a touch of real life there. I think as well there was like a kind of an internal pressure there from him because, like, according to him at the time and since, like all his mates had made it or were making it. Like, so you had Terence Stamp, his flatmate, who was already a star. Albert Finney was a star. Richard Harris, uh, Peter O'Toole, who he understood in a, in, in a play. Uh, he was friends, Ken was friends with Harold Pinter and John Osborne, who were starting to make their mark as, as, as writers. Um, you even have the situation where, like, you know, Terence Tam's brother, who was hanging hanging out in their gaff, went to, to, into a local pub and came back this night and says, guys, I've seen the future. I'm going to manage a rock and roll band. He'd seen a, a, a band in a pub who happened to be The Who. So stuff is happening all around him. He's, you know, dancing at the Ad Lib Club, which was one of these, you know, classic Austin Powers type kind of setups with the Beatles and the Stones rubbing shoulders. So I'd say he felt like he needed to nail this one. Yeah, and he does. Um, he does. It yeah. works. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, he got the gig. Harry Salzman had seen him in Zulu. Um, and again, at one of these Austin Powers style clubs, the Pickwick Club, he was there with Terrence Stamp and, and Salzman called him over and kind of said, you know, we've seen you and we'd like you to have a go for Harry Palmer. Um, but there was other people. I mean, Richard Harris was considered for Christopher Plummer, Harry H. Corbett and Steptoe and Son, which, you know, there's a small little bit of poignancy about Harry H. Corbett because one of the big things about Harry H. Corbett, of course, he was famous for Steptoe and Son, but he always wanted to break out of Steptoe and Son and do something else. And you just wonder if he had done... Was he step? Was he step toward the son? Because my knowledge of that... Is he, was, he was the son. Uh, yeah. And he was a he was a very good actor in his own right, and and because Steptoe one, Steptoe was in Steptoe was in Hard Day's Night, just to he, kind of he was Wilfred Wilfred Bramble, something like that, yeah, yeah. Like he's uh, two brilliant actors, and yeah. and and Harry H. Corbett often wanted to know if he he would love to have broken out much much like I think the the character he played in Steptoe and Son, he wanted a different life for himself. But anyway, it's it's hard enough to imagine anybody else being Harry Palmer other than Kane, really, isn't it? It's it's just so wedded to everything that goes forward in his career. It is. And what I'm looking forward to doing is when we watch the other, I mean, so there are, there are three, you know, what do you call it? Um, official Harry yeah. Palmer movies. And a couple and more. Two, dire- two more later on, they were kind of directed TV movies. So I'm interested to see what, you know, if there's a, th- why, I guess, if there's a setup to be a series to rival Bond in a certain way, why, why, why they weren't able to sustain it. And I suspect it's to do with escapism. You know, like people like realism, but they yeah. don't like too much realism, and you know, people like to be able to go to the movies to escape the mundanity of, of their of their lives. Often, yeah. Um, yeah. and certainly, if you want a box office hit, anyway, you know, you, you can't really be going back to the, you know how many movies can you take of him, you know, filing paperwork, uh, being yeah. rejected, or you know, he's gun jamming or what have you. You know, kind of really, it's it's hard to sustain. I would have thought, but we'll it see. is. 
and I think and I think you've hit hit on something there as well. At the time, like it was a successful film, it was very well received and so on. But some of the critics would have said that the second half of the film was a bit too complicated. It didn't like it's had a it's had a very long life. Um it wasn't it wasn't acclaimed in sixty in the sixties, really. Yeah. I mean it's it's complicated in, in terms of what if it's complicated uh, in comparison to a Bond movie, then yes, but Bond movies aren't complicated, you know. Yeah, but I think I, I think what you're so saying—it's about is, spectacle. It's not about plot. Yeah, no, you're right, and I think what you're saying is right. I I, I wonder if the, you know that kind of okay. It is meant to be an anti-bond, but people kind of went, well, I don't know. Do I want an anti-bond? You know, in the same way that they wanted bond. Yeah, and again, again, yeah, I suppose it kind of it, that kind of pays out as well. If you, if you think about the the Bourne movies, which have been set up again at the time as this antidote to bond, you know, like uh, I think even Paul Greengrass would have set it up. You know, like it's he's not that you know he's he's the, the character born is anti-government he's anti-establishment as a, from a certain extent and that managed to spawn like what is it four or five movies mm. sustain it mm. but again there's no way you'd ever none of those would ever be described as being in any way complicated in terms of plot no no these this is a this is a complex thing it's it's you watch it it's fine but it, there is there is plenty going on in it it's number 59 i think on the british film institute's all-time list now which tells you the, the longevity it's had it's currently at the right now in 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 March 2021. It's been made into a, an ITV TV series. I think it's a six parter. So it's 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 had a life well beyond yeah. the film. Um, yeah. we're going to give marks uh, a mark of Kane in every episode, and you know it's not necessarily reflecting the quality of the movie. It's all about Kane's performance. So like you know a, a movie could be crap, but we could be giving Kane a better mark than the movie. Uh, but this, to be fair, this is a very good movie. I personally, I would give Kane in this. I would, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Zulu, but I, w- I would say he's better in this again. He, I would give him a nine. I, I give it, I give him an eight. Um, yeah, but I agree, he's he's excellent in this, and this is his first proper movie. Mm. Um, you know, so yeah, I'd like to see him better, do better, and that's why I'm kind of giving him an eight. You'd kind of hope that the best is yet to come, uh, especially only two movies in, and there are over 100 movie credits. So you kind of kind of hope that definitely that you know I'd be giving him a higher. Or please God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We we know, like, we without even watching most of those, we know that's not going to be the case. We know that he's peaking early here. Now he's going to have great roles, of course, into the rest of his life. But he's peaking. He's peaking seriously early in a very un Harry Palmer way. Oh, we'd like to think anyway. Though we never see proof one way or the other. <laughs> right. Okay, I think we're done here. Are we? Are we happy with the Chris file? We're giving him between eight and nine canes for this one. Great movie. Great movie, great camp performance, well worth the watch if for some reason you you want to go watch it after you've heard us kind of, you know, tread all over the plot. Uh, I think next ne- next week we will have Alfie. Alfie. Yes, yeah. Alfie. Another role that appears to have haunted him for the rest of his life. Um, so I'm looking forward to watching that. Never seen it before. Never seen the Jude Law uh, remake either, so... Join us back. Join us next week, I suppose, to 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 hear us wait around about that. And I suppose, if you want to ask us any questions, you can hit either myself or Michael up on Twitter or at Marco Kane Two. Fuck you, Marco Kane One. And uh, we'll read your questions out and go and uh, take them uh, as seriously as possible. What are you waiting for? Come on! Come on! That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe and maybe leave a comment. Only nice ones, though. Mean comments will make Alfie cry and no one wants to see that. The Marco Kane podcast is written, researched and presented by Stephen Black and Michael Foley and edited by Andrew Foley. Music is composed by Stephen Black. If you'd like to get in touch, you'll find us on Twitter at, at Mallow News and at Marco Kane 2 
And if you enjoyed this episode, you'll find all the rest wherever you get your podcasts. Marco Cade is a Mano News Two Cubes production. See you next time. What are you waiting for? Come on! Come on! Bonus cut.